Welcome to On the Up and Up. I'm your host, Kira LaForgia, and every week I'm bringing you behind the scenes of running a successful business. Join me while we laugh, learn, and connect on mostly HR inappropriate topics with successful founders, diverse leaders, and kick-ass employees. It's true, your HR lady may have fired your bestie or made you sign a love contract, but we also have all the hot gossip that will make you better at your job. Whether you're on your way up the corporate ladder, are a fellow HR villain, or are building a culture as a rising entrepreneur. Welcome back to On the Up and Up. I'm so excited to introduce you to my friend, Jen Lawrence. And the reason that I'm so excited for this episode is not just because of selfishly, it's so fun to talk to Jen and to be able to share her again with our audience and our clients, but also because we have so much in common in so many different areas that we have a bit of a shorthand. So I have a feeling this episode is going to get a little deeper um, than maybe what Jen signed up for, but I warned her ahead of time. So, you know, um, but also like, I just want to, the purpose of this podcast is really to talk about two things. We want to be on the up and up. We want to be growing. We want to be moving up in the world. We want to be making our mark, making our impact. We also want to be doing things right. And that's one thing that I've always been able to lean on Jen for. We've had plenty of offline talks about ethics and things we're observing in the industry and stuff like that. So we, we might dive into that a little bit, but for the most part, we just share so many values. And I think that makes for a really interesting conversation. So Jen, let's kick it off with a elevator pitch introduction, who you are, really who you are, what you do, what you do for fun and what you do for business. We want to know everything about you. Wonderful. I'm so happy to be here, Kira. I love, you know, I just love chatting with you. Um, Our Instagram DM voice memo log is quite long. (laughs) Um, I am Jennifer Lawrence. I am a business processes consultant. So I work with female entrepreneurs on streamlining their workflows, optimizing their systems, and then aligning their team members to what they actually want to accomplish. The thing that I focus on most is doing it with ease. So how can we do this so that it doesn't feel like you're actually grinding every day, but also helping you get over that really difficult hurdle of how. You know, a lot of people come to me and they say, I want to do this. I just don't know how. And so I'm here to solve that puzzle for you, trying to utilize as much as you already have in your toolbox. And then if we need to be expand beyond your toolbox, helping you understand the implications of that. So that is what I do. I work primarily with female entrepreneurs um, because I love them and they have such big ideas and they're such hesitancy, as we all know, to bring our ideas to the marketplace. So I want to give you that giant push that you need so you can go on and be awesome. So um, I've been doing this for a long time. My business has been around for four and a half years, which is super exciting. Um, But I come from 20 years of admin and project management experience. So this is what I know, what I love, um, and what I dive into. And so when you say, what do I do for fun? Um, apparently solving problems <laughs> is what I do for fun. Um, so, but as, as with anybody, you know, I'm multidimensional. I'm one of those people that I love to read and I love the housewives. Um, and I love all sorts of other crazy nerdy things. I'm sure if we dive into a topic, uh, I will go way too deep cause that is just my personality. <laughs> 
Well, that's one of my favorite things about you because I've always been able to, I always describe myself as like, I don't really know if I'm left-brained or right-brained. Like, I don't know if I'm a people creative, like on that side of things, or if I'm numbers and data driven, because I feel like depending on the day, I'm a hundred percent one of those. And I feel like we have always shared that. And one of the things that I've always loved talking to you about is, and I want to get this kind of out of the way sooner because we've talked about it so much in the past, but talking about the human side of business and you've worked with multiple levels of people as an EA project manager, all like run the gamut of all different ways that you've supported people, not just in your own business, but as an employee and things like that. And you have manifested that into a really deep interest for the way that people work and the way that they tick primarily, or at least that we've talked about through assessments. So can you like kind of go off a little bit about some of your experience there just to give people an idea of how you're not just systems like this is also about people and that's why we're here. So I want people to understand that link. Absolutely. And to your point, um, people are part of the system. I think that's what a lot of people try to separate out when you're talking about operations and systems and processes and all that, how it gets work done. There's, it's a three, three-legged stool, if you will. And it is processes, you know, your actual workflows, it's your technology. So what people often think of as systems, but you have to have a people component, whether it's just you or whether it's the people that you have at your resource. And so I think a lot of People, when they are talking about their systems, they ignore the who's going to do the work or who are we leveraging in this situation, but also they ignore the development side of that, you know, ignoring the people part. And so what I see primarily is a lot of consultants get into the workplace and they say, I'm really skilled at optimizing this tool or I can help you build a workflow. And what they tend to miss out on a little bit is that every individual as part of that system is unique. And that's where my interest has always been drawn. Obviously in corporate America, it is driven into us that you take assessments and it's important for collaboration and communication. But when you step out of corporate America, you are the business. So you as the CEO or you as the person supporting the business, you're actually what the business revolves around, even if you're a product-based business. I'm not talking just service-based businesses as well. So when I work with business owners or other operations consultants, it's really important for me to understand you on the deeply human level. So I use two, I, I primarily use two different assessments. One is the everything disc workplace assessment. This is the disc assessment that most people are familiar with. This is your personality assessment. So what do you want? What do you like? How? What makes you tick? What do you prioritize in the workplace? The second one I pair with that is one that most people don't know. It's the Colby assessment. And the Colby actually isn't a personality assessment. It measures your cognitive strengths. So how do you behave instinctively? What are your action-oriented strengths? So I pair those two together to understand who you are, what you like, but also how does your brain naturally work? And that helps me shape how I communicate with you, what systems I'm going to build. Because if I'm looking to build a system that you work with with ease, then I have to make it a system that pairs well with the way that you like to work, but also the way you need to work. And so this has made me really passionate about helping people understand the value of assessments, because even just in my little itty bitty business, it has had a phenomenal impact. So when we're working with other people, I always say, have you assessed people in your organization? Because it is such a valuable tool when used correctly. 
Yes. And I mean, just to give a really tangible example there, and this is all something I learned from you. So this is not just me like saying this, like this is me saying, Jen taught me this and it made this impact on me. We had a really, a lot of friction within my in-person team. So ever like a lot of our listeners know I work as a COO for a local in-person business, multiple locations, about 50 employees. And so I primarily manage the team of directors and managers. They manage the team of employees below them. So I have about eight people that I'm in charge of. There was a lot of friction within one portion of that team last summer. And during this incredibly busy time, for this business, we were also having a lot of personality clash, conflicts. It was creating the toxic workplace that we're constantly trying to work against. And I felt myself getting kind of swept up in it with frustration and anger, resentment, even fear. This is all going to blow up everything I've worked hard for. And that was all kind of lending itself to this burnout state. And there was something so powerful about having these employees focus on themselves, take the Colby assessment, and then be able to like actually tangibly see like you might be really annoyed that this person is googling everything you say all the time you feel like they're constantly trying to prove you wrong but really just as much as you are thriving in the quick start realm of Colby that we need you to understand that that's how this person is thriving in their fact finder and then being able to kind of create that common language honestly helped us to solve this problem retain all of those team members and get to a place where we can accept and google and laugh and whatever even just yesterday, the employee that the other employee was so annoyed of all the time, um, literally, we're sitting all of us having lunch together. And she's like, should I Google that? And everyone kind of laughs. And then she Googles it. And we do get our answer. And it's all very open. And there's this like, a little bit more camaraderie, more embracing of who each other is. And I love what you said about the people being part of the system. But also, like, this is not just, like, frilly, like, find your results, like, take a Cosmo quiz, throw it out there. Like, it can be such a huge tool. Can you talk about, like, maybe a couple of times where you've seen the evidence of people utilizing these types of assessments in in improving their business or making major business decisions? Absolutely. I want to touch on something you said, though, and it's so important. You said, you know, we ha- we created a common language. And that's when we talk about utilizing assessments correctly. One of the things is that you implement it into your culture so much so that it does create this common language because having a common mission and vision and values is great. And it is essential to businesses. And I will I will die on that <laughs> that hill. Um, but Having a common language to talk about interpersonal issues is also essential to a functioning team. And so to be able to use the language that is built inside of an assessment, even if it's one that isn't maybe the best one on the marketplace or one that you don't stand behind, at least having something that level sets the playing field and takes the the, the personal attack out of it. Like I'm using this language because it's here at our disposal and this is what helps us communicate. So from the standpoint of utilizing assessments to bolster like performance or comfortability, your example is wonderful because when you utilize the assessments correctly, they change the game. It totally, it totally changes everything, right? It makes everything more comfortable. Um, and so I've had this happen with a number of clients. I've had so many clients who've come to me 
for a systems consultation or an advisory session. And what they're actually looking is for, for you know, processes, um, you know, some, some suggestions or some guidelines. And I make everybody take the Colby because, again, I don't want to put you into a system you aren't going to feel comfortable in. And then we end up talking about the Colby and it, like, changes their life. Like, it changes the way that they run their business. It changes who they hire next. Um, that's the big thing that I have found that use, using assessments for, especially with leaders who are looking to grow and scale, if they are looking to hire their first assistant or they need to hire a COO or a CFO or a CMO, and doing these assessments really helps you understand where your strengths are. You know, I don't talk a lot about weaknesses because every, like if we made a list of weaknesses, it would be miles and miles and miles and miles long, right? You can't be great at everything. So let's focus on what you're good at. If we talk about what you're good at, then you understand where your blind spots are and that's what you hire for, especially in a C-suite partner or a traditional or a business partner, right? If you're deciding to go into a partnership with somebody, you want to have somebody who is a good pairing um, on the flip side of your strengths. So I have seen that a lot, um, primarily with people hiring their assistants, which is near and dear to my heart because that's what my my initial career was in the admin field. Um, I love seeing people get paired up with really powerful assistant relationships that are more like business partnerships um, and that they can leverage them really well, um, as opposed to somebody just hiring somebody because they need help and it's frantic and it never works out, right? So slowing down and being thoughtful and utilizing the assessments in that process, that has probably been the biggest gains I have seen from people is that who do I need in my business, the the who question rather than the what uh, is powerful. And it's so cool to see. Yeah. And there is, if you're interested in that, there is a great book. It's literally called Who, and it talks all about the impact of the person that's in the position more even so than, I see you looking at your bookshelf. I know. Uh, I said, <laughs> the Dan Sullivan book. It's so much by Dan Sullivan. It's literally right here. <laughs> And it's really interesting to talk about this because not just, you know, HR, we're, we're all about the humans, but we often are able to grasp onto the interest of our clients because of the compliance. But once they dig into the compliance, we always talk about how our services have two different parts. One is the compliance and the kind of black and white of it all. And one is the people, but you can't do one without the other because you can't build your compliance pieces without understanding who your people are and then it bounces back over to what your policies look like and then it bounces back over to what your people need and it's kind of an evolving experiment over time um but like you said it's so important to have those mission vision values in line and then i think that that little component of having a common language has really been able to deepen what that mission looks like and what that mission means for so many of our small business owners we have people that we we can talk to every single person on our team in one day. Corporations can't do that, which means that we can have such a huge impact on their lives, even more so than our clients. So I know that you kind of entrench yourself into the businesses that you work with. How has that kind of being a part of these teams been impactful for you and the decisions that you've made in your business? Because I know that we'll, we'll also get to that, talk about the evolution of your business. But you've been able to like kind of find this balance between an independent practitioner and I'm here with the team on a retreat. So what have you learned about yourself through that process? And what have you learned about these powerful teams? Look at Kira asking me a loaded question. <laughs> uh, okay, so- 
I think the evolution of my business is really important. So I started as a traditional VA and then very quickly realized that my clients needed something deeper. So I moved into online business manager or OBM and that even involved evolved further. And then people didn't want to hire me ongoing. They just wanted, you know, they had a problem that they wanted fixed and they just wanted somebody to fix it. They were literally paying for the problem to go away. And so I adopted the very popular VIP day format where I would um, contract with people for, a, it, you know, they say it's a day, but really there's like a meeting beforehand and then there's a meeting after. So it's not all one day, but most of my service would be compacted into one day. And so it was great. It was incredibly lucrative. Like, I don't think there's any secret that the VIP day uh, formula is not very lucrative or it's incredibly lucrative. So it's nothing to scoff at. Mm-hmm. But what I realized is what would happen is people would come to me, they would vomit all over me with their problems, I would make them feel good, I would solve it, I would train them on whatever I built for them and send them on their merry way. And that was it. And I hated it because I always wanted to be like, so how's it going? How's it going? (laughs) And so, but when you poke your head back in and you say, how's it going? They're like, we don't need any more help. And you're like, uh, but I just, I I just want to know that the system's working. Like, it's like, I'm not trying to sell you on anything. I legitimately care. And I think that's that deep care that actually works against me in short form engagements. And so what I learned about myself is that I would rather build the long, Uh, relationships. I want to get involved. I want to understand your entire ecosystem. One, that makes me a better advisor, but two, that's just the relationships that I thrive in. So I actually kicked VIP days to the curb because they didn't make me feel good. Um, And so, and they also burned me out, to be honest with you. Like people are like, oh, you could just do like four VIP days a month. Do you know how exhausting that is? Um, Especially from a operations consultant side where you are investing so much of your time and energy into understanding the systems and all the components. That's a lot of mental energy and it's incredibly burnt me out. So I changed more to a deep operations consultant format where we have to have an established relationship for you to even sign a long-term contract with me. Um, And so I do advisory sessions. I love advisory sessions. They're super fun for me. But if you want to hire me into a retainer basis, we have to have an established relationship. I have to have some sort of understanding of your business and your team to even get to that point. And I found that these long form relationships really serve me so well because I do have this side of me where I do love being a team member. If anybody is familiar with DISC, I am an SI style. I am all about the team and the engagement and bringing harmony and collaboration into a space. And so to do that in a short form, it just doesn't feel great. So what I have done with my clients is I always stress the word partnership. You actually see the word partnership everywhere all over my website because it is truly important to me that I'm not just here to just be a task manager. I'm not just here to spew a piece of advice back to you and you just run and I don't care what the result is. I actually care what the result is. I want you to report back. I want us to build together. I want this to be a path that we link arms hand in hand and we are in it together um, because it's so important to me to have those relationships. So it's great for me um, to have those partnerships and I find that the people I attract, it really works out really well for them because that's what they want to. Yeah, so it really is just about you finding the right alignment, regardless of when and how quickly and how the money is coming in. Like you've actually experimented not only with, you know, comparing the service to the price to the time, but also to your energy levels, which I think is really insightful about knowing who you are and 
how you work with teams. So in that respect, like, do you feel like when you go and you really spend time with people, it's more energizing than trying to pack it all into like some kind of day and bonus? How does that relate to your assessment uh, results? You already tapped into that a little bit, but what does that look like on a, on a practical level? Yeah. I mean, for, for me, when I'm working with people, I'm an, I'm actually an introvert. So you would think that a world where I can sit behind the computer screen and just set up somebody's Dubs Auto account and optimize it and then just give them a quick training would be like ideal, right? And for a little while it was. When we are coming out of the pandemic, during the pandemic, I had done a ton of podcasts talking about productivity. I had talked my freaking head off. So the idea of just like sitting at my computer and just, you know, tapping at the computer screen and making things work was wonderful. But what ended up happening is I did miss that human component. You know, we did talk on my results. I'm, I'm an SI style. So even though I am an introvert, I do need to have some sort of meaningful engagement with others while that energy lasts. And I was finding that just doing it for their systems and doing a training session was not giving me that sense of fulfillment that I actually require. So when I go in and I work with my clients now, anytime that we have interactions, it is meaningful. It is deep. We don't start our calls with, hey, how was your weekend? It's usually a follow-up from, oh my gosh, I, you know, last time we talked, you were doing this. Where has that progressed to? And how are the kids? And we have these really deep relationships as opposed to just going in and and having a very transactional relationship. I don't enjoy that transactional side. Um, And so the cool thing is, is that if you look at my DISC results, which I am an SI style, as I stated, it's all about the harmony, the teamwork, the engagement, the, um, but I have what is called a wing. I have a wing towards accuracy. So I'm going to make like the team, the team happy, but we're going to do it the right way. (laughs) Um, And then on the flip side of that, my Colby results, I am a 7733, which probably sounds like a foreign language to anybody who's never seen a Colby. But basically what that means is I'm a person who's all about the deep research and systematizing everything that I do. And if you go into my house, you know that everything is systematized. Um, But that allows me to have this business that fulfills my need to create order in the world and create it in a nice little neat package, but also then engage with people. And it took me a while to figure out that formula. And even now, as we're recording this, that formula is changing for me, right? That formula and, and how things are manifesting in my life is changing a little bit and it's all adaptive, but constantly being in a state of reflection and saying, does this work for me right now? You know, there's there's a formula that has worked for me to make money. And, you know, there's a lot of noise out there in the world about what you should be doing, what you should be offering, how you should be working with people. And you may make a decision and it may work for a year. It may work for six months. It may work for three months. And if it doesn't work for you anymore or doesn't bring that fulfillment, it's time to move on. And that iterative approach to my business has actually been what I credit all of my success success to because I'm constantly trying to figure out, does this work for the next phase that we're going into? And it's been really fun to watch you do that. And that actually leads right into my next 
question, which is you prioritize and I'm I you can correct me if I'm wrong because I am putting words in your mouth here. But from what I observe, you prioritize continued education. You prioritize stepping outside the box. When we first met online, you know, we haven't met in person yet, which I kind of can't believe um, over three years ago, we were both just systems geeks talking about productivity in the middle of covid. And I don't think either of us would identify as primarily that now, but it still retains a part of, you know, the way we run our businesses and our lives. And that being said, you have continued to put yourself out there and get different types of education and different types of certifications. You've had a ton of passion for Colby and then you moved into DISC and how those blend together and then the systems on top of that. And then I know you've done a little bit more than that in the past, you know, six months, a year. I'm not exactly sure. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what it, why it's important to you to continue that always learning, always seeking out opportunities to learn path, because we don't always see that in entrepreneurs or service providers. I think when it comes down to it is I don't know everything, right? I'm very, very aware that there is more to learn, that there's more to know, that I don't know everything. And so part of that is that that personal growth mindset side of me that, you know, I'm just ferocious for like, like education and knowledge and that is just inherent in me um but i think there's also this other part that we have to understand is that the world is always evolving so the needs of my clients are always changing even the ones that i've been with i've had a client who's been with me for four years she's been with me almost the entire duration of my business and her needs are changing in fact we just had a challenge come up this week that we were both like got to get to researching. We don't know how to answer that question. And she has been an executive leadership consultant for over 25 years. And we got hit with something that we're like, we don't really know how to approach this. And so it's both a self-serving side of me. I just like learning new things. Um, you know, I'm that person that I can't even like watch a movie on on TV without understanding where all the actors, what work they've done outside <laughs> of this movie. Um, but also, you know, so for me to best serve people and to best understand the world around me, it's all about the continuing education. But also to better serve my clients is to be constantly trying to stay in step or stay ahead of them, right? To understand things that they they may not know. I mean, I've been doing a lot of reading up on AI and I'm not an early adopter. So no, I haven't been sitting in chat GPT and doing all that stuff, but I've certainly been keeping up on all the news and all the concerns. One of my clients is a lawyer. So we have a lot of conversations about all of the concerns around chat GPT um, and just the use of AI in general. And so that is really important for me to know because if somebody comes to me and says, hey, now I have this problem, I would at least like to have some sort of baseline of knowledge to talk to and then also be able to know my limitations, right? I'm not a bullshitter. If somebody comes to me and says, hey, I have this question this question, or I'm working in this system, I, I will tell you, I've never been in that system before. So let's talk about the capabilities that you understand or give me your login and let me go poke around in it, right? So, <laughs> um, but continuing education is so important. And if you're, if you're finding that you flatlined in your industry, I always um, tell people to look to an adjacent skill set. That is huge. If, if you are like, I know everything there is to know about HR compliance, well, then look at an adjacent skill set, right? Have you looked at, you know, remediation skills or have you looked at finance skills or have you, you know, tried to understand something that could go parallel um, to add a little bit of flavor to what you do? Oh my gosh, that is such a good point. And HR compliance, if Kylie's listening to this or my team is listening to this, 
you never know it all because it will change tomorrow. So, (laughs) so we, I feel like we have always been able to kind of share that, um, growth mindset, like you said, like we're always interested in learning something else. And I think that's why through my operations background, I kind of ended up in the HR side because the operation side is really fun and exciting and new and novelty. And there's something to build, something to learn and automation to do, whatever. But in the HR side, it's like, well, you think you know it all? Like, let me throw this wrench into the mix, you know? And we're going to change all the laws and you're going to have to redo mm-hmm. everything. <laughs> yeah. Why don't we throw a pandemic in there that makes everything advance by at least a decade in moving to remote right. work? And then let's see what you can do with that. And we're like, cool. <laughs> Um, And I love that because I think there is two types of people. The one type that is like, oh, God, change, I'm going to die. And then the other type that's like, oh, okay, cool. I'll get into something that's just constantly quicksand under my feet and it'll make things a little more fun. Um, One thing you touched on earlier was talking about finding that perfect match assistant for people. And in our work, we are often finding people their first employee who, if all works out, which many times it does, our attrition rate is very low for our first employees. We find people that can come in, start at an entry-level position, and really grow with the company and build a bond with their CEO, founder, you know, whoever it is we're hiring for. What are some – I can't think of a name for it, but we're trying to kind of, like, help people understand that number two. Like, it's not always an assistant. Sometimes it's somebody doing fulfillment or something like that. But there is an assistant type of feel to it, and it's like, you're my number two. You're my go-to. What are some of the things that – Tips, tricks, observations, you know, lessons that you've learned, hard won lessons, unpopular opinions, you know, that kind of thing when it comes to finding that number two for our rapidly growing businesses, especially for female founders that thrive in relationships. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> Buckle up. No. Okay. So first, if anybody is a fan of the EOS system, what people are often looking for is that the CEO is the visionary and they're looking for their integrator. They're looking for someone who can do a do component of their business because often what ends up happening is that CEO is tapped out on their, their physical, mental, or productive capacity. So... When we when we talk about this a lot in the consulting world, if people are familiar with the EOS system, then we talk about you're looking probably looking for an integrator. Most visionaries are not looking for another visionary, right? They've got they know the path they want to go on. They don't need anybody else. Um, so when you're talking about that integrator, you're right. The first hire is not typically an assistant. It could just be someone else who is a parallel service provider, somebody who does a similar service so that you're both doing revenue generating activities. Or it's someone to handle a giant chunk of your business that you either don't have capacity for, don't have interest in, um, don't have the skills for, right? There's no shame in any of those either. If you say, I literally don't give a crap about how my social media works, hey, I'm with you, sister. Like, it is, like, it is, not, it is not shameful to say that you don't want to be a CMO. It's, it's okay. You don't have to be a CMO if you don't want to be a CMO. It's also, you don't have to be a CFO if you don't want to be a CFO. For the love of God, go get an accountant, right? So... When we talk about these things, sorry, I told you, buckle up. Um, so the mistake that I find most people making, and this is this is across the board, it pops up if it's a whisper of this or it is literally lead, lead with this statement. I just need another me. And the reality is, you should absolutely not be hiring another me. If you are looking for someone who 
thinks like you do, works like you do, uses all the same processes, has the same cognitive background, all of that, you are riding your train straight into failure. And the reason for that is one, diversity of perspective only brings strength. Um, We know that diversity only helps. But two, you're not perfect. And that may be something that's hard for people to swallow. You're not perfect. So the way that you do things actually may not be the best way to do it. Or the way that you do things is actually what is holding you back. And so to bring in somebody and focus on, here is the goal I'm trying to achieve. Here is the goal. This is the direction I want to go in. What ideas do you have is a much better way to approach this. So you want somebody who, from a personality perspective, you get along with. From a values perspective, you're matched. You want somebody who has not only the same values of what you value in the workplace, but because of the environment that we are in, and if you are an entrepreneur, you want to have someone who is uh, personal values aligned to you. Do not create an environment where your culture sucks because you guys don't agree. Um, And then from there, you just want to make sure that you're bringing in somebody that you can work with well. They don't have to work the same way as you. And so we talk a lot about um, what the results over methods. That is the thing that I talk to a lot of people about is that you need to focus on what is the goal you're trying to achieve? What are the regulatory, you know, limitations you have within that, right? Like what is the red tape? Make sure you're following the red tape. Um, And then also making sure that you're, if there's anything that you have promised to others, that you are achieving that. But if the goal is achieved, it doesn't matter if they fill out that form at 12 o'clock at night on a Monday when you would have done it at 5 p.m. Nobody cares what you would have done when you've handed it over to somebody else. Because the number one barrier to delegation is expecting somebody else to perform exactly like you do. So... That's basically like, <laughs> like I can go I can go down this hole for a really long time, but that's basically what it is: is bringing somebody in. Oh, the other thing is is just because somebody has done a a job before, whether it's like a task or they've achieved something before, doesn't mean they know how to achieve it for you. So training and development when you're bringing somebody in, helping orient them. This is why having mission, vision, values is really important, but also having some sort of orientation. I don't care if it's just you and you're bringing somebody in. Have an orientation plan when you bring somebody in because you will fail. I don't care if they have owned their own business before and you're merging your businesses together. There needs to be some sort of orientation around here are our clients, here's how we serve them, and here's how a dollar goes through the business. That is such a good point. And I mean, I know it's a little self-serving to have you here because you're just like, bam, 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 all the things that Kira always is yelping about. But one thing I really want to point out is how you mentioned being open to having diversity within your team because it is proven time and time and time again that creating an environment in an echo chamber is not going to serve your business and take it to the next level. It's probably going to keep you right where you're at and then it's just going to go down. So that plateau is not going to level out up the way that it does when you have other ideas and you know independent thinkers and stuff like that. The other thing that I've noticed a lot it just really lends itself to this conversation is, and I'd love to hear your thoughts is we talk about this when it also 
pertains to being likable. So being a likable leader is really great, but you create an echo chamber around you of extremely loyal people that are never going to tell you that you're wrong. And so I think that when you are have the burden of being an incredibly likable person where people are loyal to you, you have long-term employees, you should almost take it one step further when it comes to your leadership skills and challenge that status quo and echo chamber. Add in some intentional friction and create a space where your team can bring you their ideas so that you can be continuing to push yourself forward because a likable, cozy environment does not create growth. So it's okay to go out and go on a limb and hire somebody that's really different from the rest of your team. But like you said, if we have those values aligned, if we have our communication in order, if we respect each other and respect the way that each other works, then we can still move forward. And I love how you said that thing about the difference in results and methods. That is like pure gold when it comes to creating a diverse team that creates a little bit of friction, but in the mean, like in the direction of moving forward and moving upward. Um, now we might go out on a limb, hire somebody. They may feel a little weird, but we're like, you know what? We don't want the team to be the same thing over and over again. We want to have a little, not just diversity in, you know, ethnicity or gender or sexual orientation, but we're talking about diversity in thought or, you know, things like that. When you have someone that comes into the team, and I think I know the answer to this, but, you know, um, and you feel like this is going to be a great fit for the team. I respect their opinions, but I don't know how we're going to work together. What's your best advice for those people that are like, this is the person that's going to take us to the next level, and I'm nervous as hell about it because it is putting me in a position to to work with somebody totally new and different. What are your tips to getting everyone on the same page? Um assess your entire team. That's where I I would always start is level set the team, right? Um, On that note, I'm just going to plug this in here. Um, If you're using assessments in the hiring process, you better damn well be assessing your entire team first. Do not use any form of assessment in the hiring process. One, in some states, it can be deemed illegal. Um, But two, make sure, as Kira's shaking her head. (laughs) Um, But also, how do you know what you're, what are you measuring against, right? It's like, you know, colleges using the GRE to get in, but not ever comparing GRE scores to people. Like, what are you actually measuring against? So making sure that if you are using assessments, but I would say using an assessment to um, level set that conversation, but also put, being able to create a tool that allows you to put those fears into a bucket, right? So that you have like the, the words to describe what those fears are. Because a lot of times our fears come from our natural biases and usually they're unforeseen biases or a great example of this is I had a client that was um, hiring a team member and they were going through the recruiting process and she naturally and it you know it's one of those things it's 100% illegal but she's like I just feel like I have to say this outside out loud is I'm hesitant to hire a male and I asked her why and she said because every male that has ever worked for me has screwed me and so what ended up happening, right? And, and so like that's, it, it was, it was blunt and it was honest, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, as the person helping screen resumes had to make sure that that biases did not leak into the process, right? We still interviewed, ended up hiring a male. Um, but it's something that you have to be really honest about is where is this fear coming from? Is this my fear? Is this an organizational wide fear? Where is it actually coming from? And then how do we address it up front? If you're worried about somebody getting along with your team, well, then it's the burden is on you to help integrate them to the team. And the next step to that is 
I know it sounds cheesy. People hate doing the team building things, but having deep, meaningful team building in a way that is not forced, right? You know, if you're a fully remote team, you don't have to fly everybody to freaking Disneyland, but if you do, take me. Um, but you're, you don't have to fly everybody at Disneyland and throw thousands of dollars at like this forced everybody getting along. Or if you are an in-person team, not having like a mandatory happy hour, right? It could be as simple as on your next team meeting, asking a very pointed question that gets people talking and start with productive conversation starters first. Don't talk about your favorite freaking movie. Stop it. Start with what is the best way to communicate with you? What is the worst thing to communicate with you? What is something that happens consistently in your workday that derails you? right? What is something that you do every day or every week that you really love that really triggers a passion in you? What is something that is on your responsibilities list that you hate? So start with these sort of things and just do it round robin style, get everybody talking. And this will actually help people understand them on a work relationship, collaborative level. And that builds respect, that builds trust, that starts building accountability to each other. It opens the door to being more comfortable to have feedback. And that will lead to liking people. Even if it is just a shallow, I like working with that person. We wouldn't be friends. We're not going to go on vacation together, but I enjoy working with them. You as a leader are responsible for guiding that conversation. Yeah, I love that. And I think that we often think that we are at the mercy of whatever's going on around us. And I think the best leaders, and when I say the best leaders, I don't mean that in like a really rhetorical, like, you know, abstract sense, but I mean the people that are serving their businesses and their people in the most impactful way, which isn't something that's just like blown out in the world. Like that's something that you sit with at night when you go to bed, you know? So it's something that only you can really embrace and understand on a deep level. And you're still going to make mistakes. You're still going to screw up. But I think that when we see those or we hear stories of amazing leaders or we see it in their businesses and their business success, it's because they're taking that humility and taking a step back and saying like, maybe not so great at this, but that's okay. Now, a few, like, I don't know, 10 minutes ago, I wrote this down because I really want to talk to you about it. Um, it we You mentioned shame and talking about it's nothing to be ashamed of if you show up in this way or that way or this way or that way. And that comes up a lot, not only when we are you know, advertising our services because people are ashamed that they don't have their HR in order. Um, but it also is important. So I have this like weird balance of like, you better get your HR together, LOL, but you're going to go get a huge fine. Ha ha ha. Like emoji meme, housewives joke. Um, be comfortable. We're approachable, but also what the hell are you doing? You know, but it's very important. You know, it's important and we have passion and all of that stuff. But we never want anyone to feel ashamed of anything that they've been doing because you're just one tiny bit of advice away from making a huge difference in the way that you run your business. So like just in this conversation, I mean, I have never marked so many clips in an episode before. Like we are going to be talking about this on social for a hundred years because our editors and everybody's going to be like, Kira marked 13 clips for one episode. We normally do too. Um, but I want to just say like, there is no, there's nothing in the shame of the process of becoming a leader, becoming a boss, understanding your people, finding that next step in your business, even moving away from things that you're deciding that you don't want to do anymore. You mentioned that a little bit about VIP days. Other people will put bold content out there that's literally intended to make you feel bad or buy something. So if you're feeling shame based on content that you're seeing, then delete the person like they don't no one needs to be out there making you feel bad. And the mute button on Instagram is wonderful. 
It really is. Yeah, because then they'll never know. Um, and then just go over to their page every now and then and like something, you know, just to keep it keep it cash. Um, but the, the shame thing comes up a lot, especially when we're talking about the employee contractor relationship. Now, I know that we've talked about this offline a lot, but you have the unique perspective of having experience as an OBM. And I find myself in a position a lot of times to tell OBMs, they are telling me their client needs our services, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, have your client book the call. Because when I get on the call with an OBM, it's usually them being out of a job, which they don't love. So <laughs> I wanted to see if you could shamelessly talk a little bit about that move from moving, not only moving away from that for you and who you were and who you developed into, but also when a business when you might advise a business to not go the OBM route, but instead understand their requirement to bring in a real dedicated employee in, you know, in alignment with their business and how that has looked for you. That's really important. Um, and that's a, a conversation that I've had with quite a few people. And it's, it's really unfortunate this happened last year where I was consulting with someone and in the process, we actually ended up replacing their OBM um, and, and replacing it with a full-blown operations manager. And usually <clears throat> the transition to that, and just so people know, understand some of the terminology we're using, an OBM is someone who is there to support your business. So they're not necessarily your executive assistant or VA, um, though they often can provide some of those services, but they will often, uh, you know, straddle the line of helping you with maybe your invoicing and helping you develop your strategy. And they may cross over and helping you with um, some of your business development projects. So they're more there to support the vision of the business, not necessarily just you as the business owner. An operations manager is more of a, an umbrella position where they're actually being brought in, if you think from a traditional hierarchical um, organizational chart, they're being brought in as a person in between the CEO and everybody below. They should, an operations manager should always have a people management component, whether it is just managing team alignment and communication or it is working with all of your contractors, external, whatever it may be, they should be, but they should be kind of almost that secondary right-hand man integrator sort of position. The thing is though, is the big tipping point is usually the commitment of time and energy. Um, an OBM typically has multiple clients. They're popping into your business, doing what needs to get done, and they're popping out. Um, the operations manager it should feel very much so like I need you here all the time. Um, an operations manager really should be an FTE that should be a full-time employee um, at some point. And if they are a contractor, you better be paying most of their bills. Um, to be honest with you, you should be buying most of their time because you need, if you are utilizing an operations manager correctly, you are optimizing most of their brain space. You're optimizing them for strategy and communication and team management and all of those really nitty gritty, hairy, basically a deputy COO sort of things. So it is complicated when you are working as an OBM and your client says, okay, we're going to go hire a consultant. And there is not a chance in hell that they're asking you to go hire a consultant that does not touch something that you do. So sometimes that's insulting to the OBM. You're like, oh, what am I not good enough? Um, but often it's from a skills 
capacity max out or a time capacity max out. Maybe we're looking to do something that nobody has any idea how to do, or we're just making the problem go away because I need that person for other things. And as a leader, if you are, if you do have an OBM and you do need to take that next step, it's really important to have that conversation with your OBM about why. Why are we hiring this external person? What are the limitations that we see? And what is your role in that relationship? But often, if you are hiring multiple consultants and you have an OBM, it may be time to shop around for an operations manager or to hire for the the highest need and kind of downgrade that OBM role into something else. Yeah, and I think that there is a way to grow Uh, out of that kind of external person that is lending support without there being a lot of conflict. But what we've seen a lot of is that it is a lot of times indirect, the services of many OBMs or what they're promising is in direct conflict with laws. So many states and, you know, don't take this as legal advice, but if you need professional advice, we do offer a free consult, et cetera, link in show notes. But I will say that there, no, we do not want to put any OBM into a situation where they are not, they're being exploited. And I think that OBMs have, at least the ones that we've talked to, they take so much ownership and pride in what they're doing that it can be really difficult to say, but you are being exploited and you deserve to have the benefits of part-time or full-time employee status. And they don't know how to advocate for themselves or they have corporate trauma that's lending itself to not wanting to be under the thumb or under the control of another business. And I think that does start to kind of get into this shame spiral for business owners to be like, but things are working so well with this OBM. I just want to like kind of keep it going. But it ends up holding the business back because at a certain point, if an OBM is doing their job right, they should grow out of you. They should grow out of you. So I'm always like, look, we've got all these lawyers referring people to us. We have all these accountants referring people to us. We have OBM seeking us out, but then never moving forward. And I'm like, dude, you could be making bank on referring people to us because you're A, not going to be in a place where you're being exploited. B, you're able, we do huge referral bonuses. And C, you should be able to go and support those businesses that are really going to value what you're doing. And that is more in alignment. But that's not my job to say. So I try to stay out of it. You know, as much as I can. (laughs) You're touching on something really important. And I think this is important for all service-based businesses to understand is one, you have one job and it is up to you to determine what falls within the confines of that job, understanding your own personal limitations, but also what you enjoy doing and what you're going to sell people. I know how to do this. This is what I'm bringing to the table. OBMs have to do that. That's why you will see a lot of VAs that will say, I'm a social media VA, or I am a technology VA, or I'm a finance VA, because you have to define the confines of what you work within. As an OBM, I don't do HR work. I'm not an HR professional. And so I often send people to the HR professionals that I love. But you have to know your limitations, right? That's one of the most powerful things. But even at any service-based provider, you have to understand your limitations. Kira, you and I talked about this, um, I think it was like sometime last year, about how you love Dubsado. You know your Dubsado inside and out. You're not going to go build Dubsado systems, though, right? So, like, understanding your zone of genius, but also understanding the limitations around where you're willing to put in that effort. And so when I work with people, I have very, very clearly defined boundaries. I don't touch social media for any of my clients. I don't touch it. I don't even do it for myself. <laughs> I'm not for you. 
right? So, but it's really important to understand that you have to put those confines around one so you're not being exploited, right? People hate scope creep. Stop creeping on my contract, right? This is what I do. There's also a huge, as you alluded to, financial benefit in building relationships that fall outside of the work that you wanna do. And this goes for all service-based providers. Build a partnership network, it will be lucrative for you. I don't know where I was going with that, but it, there's there's just a lot. Oh, we were also talking about growing out of relationships. I think this is something that people tend to forget is that most relationships that you're going to come into contact with are temporary. This goes for the coach you hired. The business coach you hired should not be with you at all times. You should grow beyond your business coach. There are business coaches for different stages. Not every coach is ideal for every level, style, and industry of business. So you should be growing outside of your business coach. You should also be growing beyond your VA. I always used to say that if somebody needed to hire a full-time assistant after they've worked with me, I've done my job well, because that means that the business has grown. And now it's time to go and they need to hire their full first full-time assistant. Or maybe they do need to hire an OBM that can give them 20 hours a week. I can't give you that. So what I used to term it as is that people have graduated away from me. And that is actually very integral to my business model now. People shouldn't have to work with me all the time. They should be able to graduate away from me. And I actually find myself working more with ops managers than I do directly with the CEO because they are actually inside the business and I'm actually supplementing this very small arm of the business and not working directly with the CEO. The, the, you know, the operations manager has a clear idea of what the vision is meant to be and I'm here to support that and they graduate away from me. And so kind of changing that terminology might help people too is that, you know, they're not leaving you, but if people are not graduating away from you, if they're not growing beyond you or you're not growing beyond them, then what growth is actually happening? Are you growing? Are you scaling? Are you actually progressing? Yeah, and I think that we have a responsibility, all of us as service providers, all of us as people that are passionate about, you know, functional growing businesses, which includes OBMs, which includes VAs, which includes all kinds of different specializations, is that we do have a responsibility to each other to pump each other up and say there is more clients where that came from. Stay in what you love or as you have so beautifully done, add more and more and more to your plate as you grow and develop and become an even more high level, more advisory, you know, whatever direction it is that your gut is telling you. If somebody's telling you, oh, we have to grow out of your services and that makes you feel bad because you want to do those services, then change your services or change your role. You know, you get to do right. that. No one is telling you that you don't have to. You get to listen no to your gut. No one is stopping your business. No one is mm-hmm. telling you that this is this is who you have to be. And that's a huge thing that you have to remember is that just as other people are allowed to adapt, you are allowed to adapt too. And we've touched on this a few times during this. And I, I want to, It's I just read uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. Um, <laughs> if you have not read that book, I highly recommend it, especially if you're all about like the bro language um the way he talks is hysterical to me but in it he says negative emotions are a call to action so if you are feeling any sense of shame or you are having a negative response to something figure out what that is actually telling you about yourself and what you need to do um and so when we're talking about you know somebody growing away from you well do you want to do that or are you just missing out on the revenue 
right? Like, do you, do you really want to do what they're going to go do? Do you really want to follow along that path? Well, then grow your skills and grow your, grow your business and go in that direction. If you're just like sad because you're losing the money, well, then, then go find another client, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you have to understand where that negative emotion is coming from. But we talked about, you know, if you don't ever want, if you don't want to do that service anymore, stop doing that service, right? If you have a negative response, it got to the point, Kira, honestly, someone would book a VIP day with me and it was never never a response to the person. I loved the people I worked with, but I was like, Oh God, another VIP day. Like it was like, <laughs> oh, like it, you shouldn't have that sort of response to signing a four figure contract that takes one day of effort. Like that is not a good response to have. So understanding that that sort of negative response is telling me something and it's a call to action. It means something has to change. And so if you, and shame is a negative emotion. So what is that shame telling you? I can't. I can't. Yeah, this is going to go on forever. Um, okay. Well, we are. You're obviously going to come back. I mean, just because, like, I want you to. Um, but also, like, that that was such a beautiful note to end on because I want people to really walk away from every episode of this podcast with feeling empowered, feeling a little bit more educated, and also opening up our minds a little bit to a new way of thinking than maybe a little bit different from ourselves. So I do realize that every time you listen to this this podcast, it's not always going to feel so warm and fuzzy. Um, but I. Think think that we can all walk away with something from this episode and if you did get something wonderful from Jen today please check out our show notes we're going to include all the links but how do you best like to serve people how do you best like to connect with people Um, how do you want people from this uh, listeners of the pod to reach out and connect with you absolutely so I am an uh, I'm a LinkedIner so I love being on LinkedIn. So you're more than welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. I hang out there. I post lots of articles and do crazy things. Um, but also visit my website. I have a blog that has over 100 blog posts on it. So if you're looking for people, processes, and technology education, I've got a boat ton for free. Um, and then also just send me a message. Um, my contact form actually comes directly to me. Um, it does not go through an intermediary. So you can come direct, you know, contact me directly, and I'm happy to have a chat. I love it. Thank you so much for being here. Um, thank you so much for your time. And also, I will probably talk to you in like 15 minutes because that is what we do. So thanks again so much for listening. If you made it all the way to the end of the, end of the episode, then the next little outro recording is going to tell you what to do. But thanks so much, Jen. And goodbye, everybody. Thank you. If you're listening to this, you've stuck with me for this entire episode. And for that, I say thank you. I hope you found as much value in this week's topic as I do. If so, be sure to follow, rate, and review on the Up and Up podcast. You'll be helping others find the fun in HR too. Follow us on social media and join us next Wednesday for your weekly dose of On the Up and Up.